When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, I'm Scott Soshnick. And I'm Evan Novi williams and this is The Sun's Heating Up, sports business podcast, The Sportacast. I see what you did there. You are referencing the Phoenix Suns and... Um, one of the, uh, how many teams are on the market now? How many pro sports teams? I've been counting, Something right? like that? Yeah. It's yeah. A, it's well, you lot. want an EPL team, you got your pick. You want an NBA team, it's the Phoenix Suns. If you want a baseball team, you maybe the Nationals, maybe the Angels, uh, you know, maybe the Orioles coming soon. Who knows? You want a hockey team, you go to the Capitol, you got the Ottawa Senators. Uh, you want NWSL, you got some expansion going on. You can have Portland, the Thorns. You can have Chicago. Um, <laughs> what, NFL, you can have the Commanders. It's like a holiday fire sales, capital. <laughs> what, am I, what am I leaving out here? Anything? Did you get Inter Milan? I didn't do Inter Milan. Yeah, no, Inter I, I Milan. said EPL. Yeah, yeah. yeah so Inter, you can have Inter. MLS and NWSL expansion. There's like, a whole bunch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's hard to keep uh, tabs. And you and I had... You know, let, let's just say you and I had floated the name Jack Selby to some people um, prior to the Wall Street Journal. Kudos to them. Great story. Uh, they beat us to it. Um, but we, we, we knew that Peter Thiel was in some way, shape or form involved in a bid. Now we know it's Jack Selby fronting it. Uh, he was you know, formerly of Thiel Capital, uh, maybe some Qatari money also in the bid. So uh, the NBA, of course, recently opening up to sovereign wealth funds. Um, maybe provide some of the liquidity needed to make this bid. But this is one of the bigger ones we know. Uh, there's been a lot of speculation out there, Eben, that uh, Lorreen Powell Jobs was in on the, uh, on the Suns bidding. As far as we knew, she did not submit a first-round bid, taking a big name. Contrary off, to what's been reported. Elsewhere. Yeah, yeah, off the board. Uh, Bruce Karsh of Oak Tree Capital uh, did not bid in the first round. Doesn't mean people can't jump back in but did not bid in the first round. Uh, we had heard that Bob Iger and Bruce might be teaming up. Of course, Iger, as you know, uh, had a little uh, a little job interview that he decided to take back at the Walt Disney Company. So here we are, you know, uh, Phoenix Suns, uh, Peter Thiel involved. We know there's a handful of bids coming. We're heating up. We're coming down the home stretch. As to, uh, as to the valuation, as to where do you think they will sell you know, it's, a, it's it's a line here. Like there's this there's this line of demarcation seems with this franchise of three billion dollars. Do you want to uh, take a guess? And we'll we'll tell where Kurt Bodenhausen has him in a little bit. But you want to take a guess on the over side or the underside? I, I think it, it's it's so interesting. And and Scott, at the risk of getting too inside baseball, the way our jobs work. I feel like this sun sale has happened so differently from a from a media reporting rumor standpoint. We're fairly deep along in this process. The first round of bids were due three weeks ago, four weeks ago at yeah. this point. Um, not exactly sure where this next round goes, but but we, there is a set amount of bidders. I have heard rumors that there were two or three. I've heard rumors that there were nine. Um, in terms of pricing, to your point, I, I have a good understanding there are bidders in the mid to low twos and a good understanding there are bidders over three. There's so much 
kind of weird speculation and unknown, a lot being held tight to the, tight-lipped here about this process. I'm kind of fascinated by it because, again, I, I've heard so many different things, both about who's interested, how many people are interested, and uh, where, where the price might end up. And, and I get that all three of those things in some ways are are very interconnected. Three billion feels like a pretty good over underline if you were to set set a Vegas line for this, Scott. My my gut tells me under, but again, I I have less insight I think in this than than a lot of team sales that have happened in the past few years. By the way, I'm just noticing. Are you wearing a Riveter shirt? Have you been to a game at the mall? Repping, the I have mall? not been to a game at the mall yet, but there's a Friday uh, in February that that we're eyeing to get out there and see it. Could we possibly have a Soshnik Novi Williams outing at the Dream Mall? Maybe a little hey, dinner. Isn't there a Wahlburgers there? Right. That's what I, they're I think promoting. there's everything there. <laughs> I'm planning to ride a roller roller coaster, yeah. maybe fish in the pond, well, uh, do a little water slide. As you know, hockey in the mall is not foreign concept to the Soshniks, having been to the Brick in, at the of West course. Edmonton Mall. Yeah, same, same developers, owners. right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, I just want to make point that you were wearing a <laughs> good, Riveter good, shirt. Good little good. aside there. I wear um, my Toronto Six sweatshirt, and everybody asks me what's that, and I tell them that they love it. I'm going to go over. I'm going over three. Okay. Well, yeah. For, you, for two yeah. reasons, I think the NBA would like it to be over three, and I think Robert Sarver would sure as heck like it to be over three. Hmm. And if you're a two eight five two nine, are you not going to take the franchise for hundred? You know, for hundred mil. That's that. That's my question. Are you going to lose the franchise? Knowing what's happened with other bidders who've missed out on franchises, knowing how the NBA is internationally, knowing how the NBA is uh, tech focused, knowing well, it's a superstar driven league, knowing that you have real estate possibilities, knowing that if you want to look at the Golden State Warriors, you've got myriad, you've got tech, you've got media, you've got real estate. You are a platform company. Do you want to miss out on not owning this franchise for a hundred million bucks? I say. Ultimately, whoever's there at the end will pull the trigger and okay three over. I think my counter argument to that would be that they're to the to what we discussed at the beginning here, there's so much on the market. From what we understand, a few of those other sales that you've talked about have been fairly tepid. Maybe not as much interest as as the seller or the or the people doing the sale thought. It, it does, in, in my mind, feel as though this is a, a a a buyer's market to a degree, and that maybe all of these clubs. Or, or most of these clubs are going to end up either selling for a lower number or being pulled off the market because the, the only option was a lower number uh, than, than maybe people originally projected. The only thing here is like you do always have the weapon of, well, I don't need to sell. That is always like you, you, you learn that in real estate. Mm-hmm. Here, this would be the equivalent, and, and best I can say, this would be the equivalent. Like Sarver has to sell. Like the NBA now can't have him keep the team. So this would be the equivalent of like the buyer of a home getting the inside info of, I know you've already closed on a new home. I know you're carrying two big mortgages that you can't sustain for a long period of time. I know you need to dump this property. I am not moving from my bid. Do what you want to do. Doesn't that bolster my point? That that, that it, is less it, leverage. I, I'm trying for, to bolster for, you. Yeah, yeah there's yeah, more yeah. leverage yeah. on the buy side with that. I still think ultimately, if I understood or had gotten wind that, well, there's really only one bidder there. There's one main person interested. I would side with you. But because there are multiple bidders, even if some of them are lower, and you know how this goes, there's a lot of pressure. They're they're not making more of these franchises. Well, maybe Vegas NBA. There's only like You don't have that many opportunities to get in. This is a fairly close to Las Vegas market where you can be home sleeping on your pillow within an hour on your private jet. So are you going to let this opportunity pass for 100, 200 million? And I just get the sense with multiple bidders, even if they're at the low point now, that somebody on the higher end is going to say, what's it going to take 
for us to shake hands and be done with this deal. And if they say put a three in front of it, somebody does it. That's just the over. That's just my take of where I totally. think we're going to be. I think anything between three and three, 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 four doesn't surprise me. I think anything more than that does. But yeah, it's, I, I, it's going to be something in that range. All right. So let, let's talk about then sort of overall the NBA valuations coming this morning from Kurt Bottenhausen. This is like Christmas for me. I love this. You know, Christmas is a big day in the NBA with, I don't know, how many games do they have? It used to be doubleheader, tripleheader, now they got five, like five games, think, right? Yeah. yeah, you can just sit and do it all day. Um, no surprise. You know, we put out the story yesterday. Number one, the Golden State Warriors. But the question I asked on Twitter when I put the story out is, have the Warriors built a better mousetrap? That's that's what you really have to ask yourself because think about this gross revenue topped 800 million. Ready for this stat? That yep. is 50% higher, 50% higher than any other NBA team. That's amazing. Yeah, it's the business is booming the year over year according to Kurt's valuations. The Warriors were 6.03 billion last year and 7.6 billion this year, that, that's a more than $1.5 billion jump, retake the top spot in the NBA. I, I haven't seen the, the full list quite yet. I, I imagine no team jumped up as, as much as, as the Warriors did, certainly not from a, for, for, from a, from a net number. Um, but it, it really shows, and, and in Kurt's story that was published yesterday, he gets into this idea that, that in some ways the, the, the challenges of the COVID pandemic actually kind of clouded the idea of how of how how much this business was humming because it it took until kind of fully getting out of the of, of the covid disrupted business seasons to to really get a sense of how how much of a juggernaut the Warriors had built It's here. appropriately but, named the Chase Center because I look at this arena much <laughs> like I look at AT&T as an ATM <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, everybody's just chasing the Chase Center. The, the building cost what one point five billion to uh, to put together. From what we understand, that the Warriors have three billion dollars worth of of sponsorship commitments, contractual commitments in place right now. That number almost definitely will will only go up and not down. Um, there is a lot about all the things that we talk about, Scott, on this on this show about how to build ancillary businesses around a sports team, and the Warriors have done it. In a really good way, and I know we we talk often about how success on the court or on the field isn't always uh, kind of critical to valuations going up or going down. It does certainly feel like for the Warriors, this decade-long run of Steph Curry and the success that he's had alongside Kevin Durant at times and Klay Thompson and, and, and Draymond Green, the fact that the Warriors have been for, for a good chunk of the last decade one of the best teams in basketball, I do actually think in this case is, is really significant to the valuation rise that we've seen. All right. So you would tell Joe Lacob to pump the brakes on ownership was the best thing in slides, you know, creating this great flywheel. And it would have happened whether you had any old team, because like it, Steph Curry isn't just a great basketball player. He's a transcendental player like this guy. He transcends the game like people love. He's a global icon. You have a, a guy who literally changed the game. So to have that kind of player and the cha- and the multiple championships throughout the years, just winning certainly helps and people want to be associated with it. Uh, but but no, Joe uh, and the other owner part of the ownership group, you know, they're they're pretty adamant in that, you know, we've created a, a system here. You know, we, we've created we are going to have this great downtown or arena in San Francisco where we're going to have media, we're going to have real estate. So. He's really looking at the global companies. He says, when you look at the Golden State Warriors, don't compare us 
to other sports teams. When they're looking at how do we move forward and what are we looking at, he says, compare us to Disney. We look hmm. at ourselves as the Walt Disney Company. You've got theme parks. You've got networks. That's what they're trying to create with the Golden State Warriors, that kind of platform company. And, and as much as, as media obviously plays a huge role in that, I think one of the, the things that they have done so well is tap into the kind of status symbol nature of the Bay Area yeah. and become a, a piece of that status symbol culture. Sitting courtside at a Warriors game is something that a lot of rich people in the Bay Area want to do made for reasons folks in want to get involved in ownership. 100%. And that's the same thing with sponsorship. It's, it's all those things, that, that association with the Warriors and, and, and premium hospitality at Chase Center has become a kind of a, a part of, of status within the Bay Area. And that is not unintentional. It was intentional by this group and I think is, is, is really driving a lot of those numbers you're talking about. All right. Sound the trumpet for me, Evan. The Sashnik <laughs> tangential value add trumpet. What do you got for me? Here we go. Here we go. All right. Make way for a Sportico Tangent. Because we, we referenced the Chase Center. I can tell you this. Sources tell me that uh, the NBA Players Union, every offseason, I believe uh, in the CBA, it is written that they have the opportunity to audit, I believe the number is five teams. I don't know if it's changed since the last time I checked, but I believe they have the number. Uh, I believe it's five. They can audit five teams to sort of see what's going on. I can tell you, that last year when they were saying, okay, which teams would we like to audit? Everybody's hand went up and said Golden State. Number one, we want to get a peek at how much, just how much money that building is generating. And uh, it, it, sort of, it sort of helps them craft the argument of this isn't just about one thing. Look at what you guys can create with the players at the centerpiece of all this. Now you have a real estate empire that's, that's spitting off this much cash. And how can we share in this as players? Is the goal in that list every year to audit the five most valuable teams? Is it to get a, a, a one at the top, one at the bottom, a couple in the middle to get a, a good idea of the range of teams? But what's the end result of, of, of that little peek into a few my, teams? My guess would be, and I, and I don't have the definitive, but my guess would be probably higher end clubs. Yeah, just, yeah. just to see what they're doing differently how much revenue they're generating from different aspects of the business. Uh, maybe because if I'm a lower revenue team, I doubt the Warriors are going to dip. So you look, okay, what are the things they're doing? That will be mimicked. Can it be recreated elsewhere? Do we have a reasonable suspicion that revenue will tick upward at these other uh, locales because of what's been created. Not er of course, not everything's going to be San Francisco. Not everything's going to be a downtown arena. Brands, we get it. I, you know, but they do like to see what's possible and what could be happening with other arenas. That's it. You got nothing for me. <laughs> no, I think that makes makes total I sense. We're going to go yes. into the other valuations here. Go read the list now. This is okay. a good time to insert. Yeah, yeah. Like, we can we've go through the top. The wars top, at seven point seven point six. And by the way. There's only one professional sports team, major U.S., that's ahead of the Warriors, right? And it's no surprise. It's the Dallas Cowboys. Dallas Cowboys. And it's just a smidge, according to Kurt. It's just a smidge. We could have an NBA. If you told me how many years, I don't know, a few years ago that an NBA team was going to be valued higher than the Dallas Cowboys, who, by the way, have a pretty cool uh, building. They have a separate real estate project. Like, 
you could make Cowboys TV and like, I don't know how many people would spend what a month to, to watch the insider stuff, you know, direct to consumer. Um, I think you'd have a great battle between the Warriors and the Cowboys on a global basis. That'd be great. Absolutely. And the Yankees are a little bit lower, but, but I think in, in some ways still in the race, in that, in that conversation, in that they have an international brand that, For sure. that, that permeates parts of the, the globe that don't even really pay attention to the sport that, that, that the team plays the rest of the top five, Scott, 6.6. Billion for the Knicks at number two, six point four for the Lakers at number three, and then a big gap, four point one for the Bulls at number four, three point nine for the Celtics at number five. Suns right around that three billion dollar mark that that you and I were talking about. The the, the strength of the NFL has always been the the the, the, the how high the floor is. Yeah. The, the, the teams on the back end of these NBA valuations obviously are significantly lower than the teams on the back end of the of the NFL valuations. But a huge jump for the NBA and and coming not that far away from a new TV deal, there, Scott, there, that there, is going there is to your key. Thank you for getting there because more. that's the key component. I mean, yep. what are we talking about? Two and a half, three X, right? That yep. despite the, the warnings from, you know, some of the possible media partners, you know, David Zaslav saying, eh, we don't need the NBA Turner. Yes, you do. We don't need the NBA at, at ESPN. Yes, you do. <laughs> yeah, if you and if you chart the the valuations of NBA and NFL teams, kind of over time averages, you can see in that line chart the new TV deals. There's very clear little spikes that happen when oh, by the way, the the, the money that the league is sharing with its team suddenly got an, a, another massive jump up, and and I assume that is going to happen when when it's going to happen with the new NFL deals when they kick in, and, and it's going to happen uh, with these NBA deals as well when they are negotiated and when they start. What might have sounded like bravado. I, I was in the room the last time the NBA announced its, you know, its TV deal. And I'll just never forget the look on Ted Leonsis's face when he was like, the quote was, there's never been a better time to be an NBA owner, except for maybe yeah. six weeks down the road, <laughs> yeah, exactly. six weeks down the road, the next time you wake six up, six months yeah. down the road, <laughs> except the next time you're looking for a media deal. Now, now we can say, well, okay, now there's never been a better time to be an NBA owner. And he would be spot on correct. Um, speaking of spot, that you take penalties from the spot. We had a, hmm. some exciting, thank you, not a bad transition there. We, we had some exciting quarterfinal action uh, in, in the penalties. By the way, great Wall Street Journal story on sort of the, uh, what is it, the pressure of, of taking penalty kicks in the World Cup, right? I loved it. Um, but what do we got? France, Morocco. I know you're interested in sort of geopolitical. That's yeah, interesting. Sure. Argentina, yeah. Croatia. So tell me what's got your attention. I mean, I think that Morocco is undoubtedly the Great underdog story, story of the of, of yeah. the tournament. In the same way that that everybody roots for Butler or Wichita State when they go deep in the NCAA, but they're tournament. not really underdogs. That's this the thing. The I always say those mid those those talented mid majors are not really underdogs. I would contend. <laughs> yeah. Here you have an underdog. Morocco's maybe St. Peter's is maybe the better there you go. Uh, the, there the you better go. one if St. Peter's made it to the final four. Yeah. Um, so so certainly thinking a lot about Morocco and enjoying their run from a business standpoint, this tournament felt like so much of global soccer as a kind of referendum on the talent and popularity of, of Leo Messi, Neymar and Cristiano Ronaldo. And at least right now, uh, Messi is winning that from a, from a team's success and an on-field talent standpoint could be the last time we see Cristiano Ronaldo in a world cup probably is the last time. How could it not be? Uh, yeah. It certainly seems possible that the last time we see Neymar in a world cup as well, maybe same, probably true for Messi. Also, this feels like the end of, of an era of these two. And, and if you include Neymar, three massive, huge, giant marketing stars for the sport who, who command so much attention, even when they're not playing. There was a photo. I don't know if you saw this, Scott, an overhead shot of the 
Portuguese team in the national anthem before their their game, their their, their quarterfinal game, and they're all lined up, obviously arm to arm, and Ronaldo's in the middle, and there's dozens of cameras in front of the team yeah. and every camera is focused on Poised at him right it's like no no one even exists in that line except for and he wasn't even starting he didn't play until well that until was the, the second that, that's half. why the cameras were focused on him <laughs> yeah exactly uh so yeah i think in in a lot of ways i'm excited to see the end of, of of this tournament but it does feel uh kind of like a passing of the guard in some ways if, if messi can get can get a world cup title to add to his really huge resume. Um, that's obviously great for his legacy, but we, we could be witnessing the end of the, of this era of, of Neymar, Ronaldo and Messi. Does it take away the, the line that I'm hearing a lot from the U S team? Well, something to build on youngest team in the tournament. Like, can you have that argument now when Morocco's a semifinalist? It's, it's a good question. I, I think that again, as we talked about before, I think the U S making it out of its group was a success. And they didn't do much in, in, in the one game they got. Can it be a that. success that feels like less of a success than it should be? I think or that's be? totally fair. The, the okay. only team they beat was Iran, right? Which right. Is, is a team that I think anyone in, in U.S. soccer would tell you they, they should be beating. Um, they probably feel that way about Wales, did not beat Wales. Um, so I think there's ways you can look at positives and negatives. Um, and, and there's going to be there's going to be so much. I don't know if you followed what happened with Gio Reyna. In, in, in the fallout uh, these last couple days. Yeah, but was it like an off-the-record event that you know, Berhalter break, was speaking at? Yeah, and, yeah and he hinted that there was a player who was not giving maximum effort in training or on the field, and then it was people came out and reported that it was Reyna, and at one point they had a vote, apparently, whether to yeah, send maybe him we'll home send or not. Home. Yeah, um, so I, there's going to be more spotlight on the U.S. men's team every day, I think, for the next four years, leading up to the World Cup being here in North America, where expectations will be 100%, will be higher than any World Cup that the, the men's team has entered ever, probably. Just the fact um, that we're talking about Gio Reyna, and Tyler Adams, all good things for soccer that people now care that, wait, what happened? What is this controversy with Gio that, you know, he almost got sent home? So I think, I think that's right. And, and, and along the lines of, of how much pressure we talked about being on the U.S. team to perform for essentially for the, for the business of soccer in the U.S., the ratings that we've seen uh, from both Telemundo and from Fox have been really strong. It does actually seem like maybe the the interest in the World Cup uh, in the U.S., when, even when the U.S. team is not playing, is, is strong and and maybe stronger than a lot of people predicted. So there are some metrics that, in addition to whether you call the U.S. team's performance good, bad, or, or kind of just baseline of what was ex- expected, I do think there's things that people who are bullish on soccer in the U.S. can point to here and say, oh, we're seeing a lot of the progress that we were hoping to see at this point for soccer in the U.S. I just do want to mention, uh, you know, the loss of a friend and friend of the program, Grant Wall. Mm. Um, he was on La Previa podcast just a couple of weeks ago, and he actually agreed to record an entire podcast. And then there was a big upset. And he said, oh, I understand. That's no good. We need to re-record that because, you know, an upset happened. That's kind of the guy that uh, that Grant was always, always promoting soccer, um, diligent journalist, and always looking for a helping hand. And of course, our thoughts are with his wife, Celine, who's also been in the Sportico world. Uh, helped us out with uh, a lot of the COVID things that we had we have discussed throughout the years, and you know she's been on our virtual events, she's been some of our live events. So also, you know, both both Grant and Selena have been very kind to Sportico, and and we just wanted to recognize all the work that Grant had done. That's well said, Scott. And I, there's on the spectrum of people who are nice and people who are not so nice. I think we, almost everyone in our industry who knew him would would put him on the very far end of the yeah. uh, 
uh, of the nice Upper side right of that quadrant. spectrum. Ex- exactly. Yeah. So um, a, a giant in our industry d- did a lot for for for, for U.S. soccer and, and soccer in America more broadly. And yeah, definitely, uh, d- definitely a sad loss. All right. Well, if we're going from the upper right quadrant to the lower left quadrant, and that's not me putting him there. It's just sort of the broad based sort of take on it. Dan Snyder. Mm. Um, we have the uh, the House report came out and. Again, damning on Dan Snyder, damning on the NFL. Um, now you're just waiting to see, okay, will uh, will Jeff Bezos buy the Commanders? I, I wonder how much I personally feel a lot of fatigue about this story. Every time a new report or government document, every time there's new revelations about Snyder, I read them and I am just in awe that he still owns the Commanders. Uh, and this was, a, a, I just felt deja vu last week, Scott, reading through all of the various types of, of, of sexual harassment, of workplace harassment that either he committed or, or committed under his watch, in addition to uh, the potential financial shenanigans that he's been accused of. The oh, NFL the John, and, and, and the real the real revelation was that perhaps the commanders behind the leaking of the uh, the John Gruden emails. Absolutely, which I, I think ESPN had at least flicked at in reporting a, a few months ago. Um, and, and the NFL comes out really poorly in this report also, Scott. The, 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 the report accuses the league of misleading the public with regards to the Wilkinson investigation, being aware of Dan Snyder's interference into that investigation, also being aware multiple times of his hiring of private investigators to follow and collect information on witnesses and people who were talking for that investigation. The, the NFL, a, a senior NFL lawyer um, is, who's not named in the report, admits that, that Snyder has repeatedly violated league policy around a lot of these things, and it doesn't seem like there's been too much punishment. And maybe the most damning piece, which maybe has come out, I had not seen it before, but apparently when Snyder was fined that $10 million um, a, a couple months ago, the league ran that fine by his team and also ran the language of, of what they were going to say publicly about that censor, censure. Um, they also ran that by him as well. It just seems as though there, there's way too much kind of buddy-buddy and protection happening between uh, parts of the NFL and Dan Snyder and what's happening in Washington. And again, every time I read more about this, some of it jogs stuff that I already knew. It, it is just, a, it, it's amazing to me that this is still is still going on. And it is a problem for the NFL, I think, without question. And, and we're waiting on the Mary Jo White report, which I imagine is, is going to give me this same sense of deja vu that I had before. Um, but yeah, it, 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 it seems shocking to me that he would continue to be an NFL owner after all this. And I say that knowing that a lot of this stuff is not new and he has at least survived it up until now. All right. Well, if this is just like a little public service announcement for whoever you may hire one day, a private investigator, follow me around, you know, if they're going to get up and close and personal, not just telephoto <laughs> lens, I would say you should caution that person. You should probably bring a winter coat because you're going to be spending a lot of time in ice rinks. That's all that that's all not a bad weekend for the focus group of one, three and one on the weekend. Uh, the only loss which really irks him is, you know, to his former team, three, two in overtime. And the, the, the chuckling, yeah, the, the chuckle part was that uh, we had an offensive zone penalty in overtime where there was a collision between one of our players and a kid on the other team. And the other kid dropped his stick. And our player, as they get up to skate back, kicked the stick away. And of course, got a penalty for it. And then after the game, was like, I didn't know that was a penalty. <laughs> so, I also did not know that was a penalty. You didn't know either. I, I think but if I saw that stick on the ice, yeah, I would also credit move to them. They, they converted him. on the power play in overtime for a three-two victory. Uh, but that's okay. You know, we'll get them next time. It was a it was a good outing. I think on the weekend, what uh, the focus group of one had a goals against average of one point five, save percentage over ninety. You can't ask for more than that. 
There you go. All right. Well, he is Eben Novi Williams on the Twitter, Novi underscore Williams. I'm Scott Soshnick on Twitter at Soshnick. The producer is Matt Whitehurst. Thank you very much, Matt. Our digital media editor is Cora Veltman. She loves it when I remind you that the show can be found at Sportacast, which is the hub of what is the Sportico Media Network.